Alright, so today we finished our discussions on rape, and remember there needs to be an actus reus and a mens rea for every crime, and rape is no different, so we're going to be finishing our discussion about the actus reus and go over several principles, and then we're going to go into the mens rea. Just as a recap of the actus reus portions that we've talked about so far, we've talked about the traditional approach of forcible rape, we've talked about force and non-consent, we've talked about the resistance requirement, and now today we're going to be talking about redefining force and then abandoning force, which, so to speak, are two ways that courts have tried to do rape reform in understanding how these cases work. And then with that, after that we'll get into mens rea and we'll only be focusing on mistake of fact. Those are going to be the three things that we covered today is redefining force, abandoning force, and uh, mistake of fact. So let's get into redefining force. We have Commonwealth versus Berkowitz. Uh, here in this case, somebody was uh, convicted of rape. Uh, she had come to his apartment. Uh, he there, There's conflicting testimony. She says that uh, he came to her. He was under the impression that she came to him. Uh, because of past experiences. Big takeaways from this is that he's arguing that there was a reluctant submission, meaning she said no, but uh, there was no actual evidence that she was resisting. And here he's making the argument that reluctant submission does not equal force or threat of force, which is a requirement for rape according to the rape statutes. So there's three possible ways that the prosecution could have found rape in this case. There needs to be mental coercion, a threat of force, or an application of actual force. In this case, there's no mental coercion, and this is how they redefined rape, uh, redefined force. So force originally was physical force. Now it can include mental coercion. And here, there's no actual indication of mental coercion because none of the factors were met, meaning there was no authority. Uh, he, he, he didn't have any power or authority over her. Uh, they were similar ages. Uh, the situation was and setting was fine as far as the atmosphere, things like that. So there was no moral mental coercion over uh, this girl in this case, according to the court. There's no threat of force, and she actually says here that he never threatened her. And then the application of force. The court here, this is really where things are going to get a little dicey. So he got up, he locked the door. Um, but she was aware that he got up and locked the door to keep people out, not to keep her in, things like that. So the court said no, because he didn't do anything more forceful than what's actually required in the sexual act itself. So that's the common law approach. Under the MPC, uh, the definition of rape, one way of proving it is force. The definition of gross sexual imposition requires threat of force. So under the MPC, he would not have actually been guilty of either rape or gross sexual imposition because he didn't even involve a threat of force. So that's one way of looking at it, but the second way of looking at it is whether or not you abandon force, meaning 
rape as non-consensual and consensual sexual intercourse being sufficient to find rape without force. And this came from a lot of rape reform laws. So you have state versus state of New Jersey in the interest of MTS. Um, I won't go into the facts of this case. I'll just give the big takeaways. So the reformed rule is that rape is sexual penetration uh, without affirmative and freely given permission of the victim. So how do you determine what permission is? Well, permission can be determined either by words or actions. Passive agreement is not going to be enough. It is not going to be permission. And this is going to involve the yes model, which we'll talk about in just a second. So under this rule, the case that we had previously just mentioned, he would have been found guilty of rape. So you can almost see it as like a hierarchy of what's most lenient on the defendant. Force is going to be most lenient. MP C is going to be like an intermediate level. And the abandoning the force rule is going to be the most hard, strict on the defendant. And the purpose for this is because you want to have be looking more at the actions of the defendant instead of what the victim is feeling. So there's three possible ways to saying whether or not there's permission. There's the yes model, the no model, or the negotiation model. So the yes model means that it's illegal unless you get a yes, meaning it requires a yes before any sexual act. The no model means no means no, but an absence of no might mean yes. That makes sense. It's and then the negotiation model means that you're actually talking and exchanging views prior to any actual course of action. And so what might be best here? Well, no is going to be the least strict. Negotiation is like an intermediate, and yes is the most strict. I'll leave that up to you, which model you think is best. Obviously, nego- negotiating is going to be the best way of having a good relationship one with another, but as far as a legal analysis goes, you can go ahead and make up your mind. So that finishes our discussion on actus reus. Now we're talk about the mens rea, which mens rea we have a mistake of fact question here. And we have Commonwealth versus Lopez. What happened here is that a girl was raped, the person was convicted of rape, and he was not afforded a mistake of fact defense, instruction to the jury. And so he's really appealing, saying, I should have had my mistake of fact. If you remember from a while ago when we talked about mistake of fact, mistake of fact is if a person is mistaken in the facts of a situation, they can have this defense where if they reasonably believe, and if it's, sorry, if they genuinely believe and it's reasonably found that this mistake could happen, then they can have a mistake of fact. Defense. Here, in this case, no different. But we need to determine a little bit of underlying rules, underlying factors to see whether or not he can have this instruction. So first, we need to determine if the statute follows specific intent or general intent. Rape most commonly follows a general intent, 
because there's typically no mens rea written into the statute. So just going over those two things, though, just to see how the mistake of fact can play. So if it's specific intent, the mistake of fact can come into play if there's a mistake that negates the element of the defense. Get into that in a minute. General intent, which most commonly is rape, means that the mistake must genuinely be held, but also reasonable under the circumstances to actually have that defense. So how do we determine if a mistake is genuinely held and reasonable, since that's really what rape mostly focuses on? Well, there's a very small window where you can say that consent is extremely questionable, like it could have gone either way. In those instances, you might say it's reasonable. Like, for instance, a person, and don't quote me on this, but a person, a male who believes that a female is playing hard to get, and she, in fact, is playing hard to get, but there's actually no consent there, but there's also not a no. So there's not a no, but it's also not a yes, and he believes that it's a yes, but she doesn't believe that's yes, but she hasn't said no. That's really where you might be able to use the mistake of fact. In this instance, there's a huge disparity in the accounts where there's no way to know. Well, it's very easy to tell one party was lying. Either the dude was lying or the girl was lying. Here, I think it's pretty obvious. In this case, Lopez, I think it's pretty obvious to tell that the dude was lying. So he was not afforded this mistake of fact defense because it was not reasonable to give him this mistake of fact defense. This is slightly different in the MPC because in the MPC you can use it if it negates the element because the MPC loves having this mens rea all written out. And so for rape, it's reckless. So if you can show that it wasn't reckless, meaning you didn't know it was reckless. Let's take knowing just as an example of how to negate an element. So if the element says it's knowing, all the defendant needs to prove is that he acted without knowing. For reckless, for rape, for the defendant to show, since the element is reckless, the defendant needs to prove that prove that he acted without recklessness, at least in his mind. And, and that's really finishing up rape. I'm glad to be done with it. Not the most comfortable cases to talk about at all. Almost feels more taboo than murder. And it for I don't know why, but for me it felt much more icky than murder was. So glad to be done with it. Next time we're going to be getting into defenses, such as self-defense. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually 
see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.